Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 16th September 2022. This is Ian Haydock. This time, a big US approval for BMS, Roche touts its diverse R&D pipeline, Lumacrass's mixed phase 3 results in lung cancer, Japan controversy over a COVID antiviral, and GSK's vaccine strategy in India. Bissomaya Squibb has been preparing for a long time to launch its most recently approved product, TYK2 inhibitor Sotic2. And with its first dermatology drug, the company has set a big goal to become the new standard of care for treating psoriasis with an oral therapy and seeding Amgen's established PDE4 inhibitor, or Tesla. Mandy Daxon writes the US FDA approved Sotic2 for the treatment of moderate to severe plaque psoriasis on 9th November, the label that does not include the limitations that jack inhibitors have due to safety concerns. BMS has maintained that although TYK2 is a target within the jack family, drugs targeting TYK2 do not have the same safety concerns, such as thrombosis. The FDA did not include the class warning, but did acknowledge the unknown link between jack inhibition risks and TYK2 inhibition in the drug's label. This is not a JAK inhibitor, BMS Executive Vice President of Global Drug Development and Chief Medical Officer Samit Hirawat said in an interview with Scrip. It is a first-in-class oral selective allosteric TYK2 inhibitor. What we have been able to show in two Phase 3 trials, Poetic 1 and Poetic 2, is superiority both at Week 16 and Week 24 in terms of efficacy, as well as from a safety perspective, compared to placebo as well as the current oral standard of care, which is Otesla, Hirawat said. We have our launch focus squarely on being the new standard of care for the oral treatment of patients with moderate to severe psoriasis. BMS Executive Vice President and Chief Commercialization Officer Chris Berner told Scrip. BMS has built a dedicated dermatology sales force because, he explained, this is a market where we think experience matters. We've had a medical team in the field since our first Phase 2 data were released, and that's a very experienced dermatology team, and they've been gathering insights from the field for a number of years. Psoriasis is only the first of several indications that BMS is pursuing for SOTIC2, which the company expects to generate $4 billion plus in annual sales by 2029. Future potential indications include psoriatic arthritis, systemic lupus erythematosus, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, among others. The drug also serves to bolster BMS's immunology portfolio, which currently includes the S1P inhibitor, Zaposia. Roche has presented its vision for its pharma division up until 2025, outlining a wave of new molecules and growth opportunities across its portfolio, and highlighting potential first-in-class launches across oncology, neuroscience and ophthalmology. Andrew McConaughey writes the company is arguing that it can achieve strong growth in the period, even while accepting much-reduced analysts' consensus forecasts for two anticipated blockbusters, the Alzheimer's candidate gantanerumab and the Tigit cancer-hopeful tyragolumab. Even though their decisive trial readouts are not due until November 2022, and 2023, respectively. 
Pharma division head Bill Anderson detailed at a 12th September analyst briefing in London how the company would power through the next wave of biosimilar competition and still keep growing. Recent years have seen its trio of cancer blockbusters Avastin, Herceptin and Rituxan Mabthera face biosimilar competition, losing around 13 billion Swiss francs or around $13.7 billion in total revenues over the last five years. Even so, the company has grown by 9% over the same period, adding 15 billion Swiss francs in new product revenues. Anderson highlighted the fact that the company was the sector's biggest R&D spender, which he said had helped to give Roche the sector's most valuable pipeline, which currently includes 51 candidates in Phase 3 or registration. Looking ahead to its 2021-25 period, Anderson reviewed analysts' consensus forecasts for its portfolio, with Decentric, Ocrevus and Hemlibra leading the way, with 2022 revenue growth of between 2.4 and 2.7 billion Swiss francs each over the period. Not far behind are the newly launched next-generation ophthalmology drug Verbismo, which is forecast to hit 2.3 billion Swiss francs in sales next year, with Everisdi, 1.6 billion Swiss francs forecast, and Polivi, 1.1 billion, also on strong growth trajectories. Anderson was clear that the company was not counting on the riskier bets in Alzheimer's and Tigit paying off. We are really excited about Gantanerumab, but we are not dependent on it if Gantanerumab goes away. I think that's important to note. We are not a one-trick pony. Amgen's Lumacrest did not perform as well in detailed results from the Phase 3 Codebreak 200 clinical trial in previously treated KRAS G12C mutated non-small cell lung cancer presented at the European Society for Medical Oncology meeting on 12 September, as it did in a Phase 2 pivotal trial. It still significantly bested docetaxel on progression-free survival, but overall survival was better for the comparator. Although the trial also showed some signs of the risk of potential liver damage, it may be a palatable trade-off for patients with KRAS G12C mutated NSCLC who might be able to avoid chemotherapy with an oral drug that provides an additional month of PFS, Mandy Jackson writes. Lumacrest won accelerated approval from the US FDA in May 2021 with a safety warning about hepatotoxicity on its label. In terms of OS, it remains to be seen if Lumacrest can provide a benefit, but the company noted that this endpoint was confounded by a protocol amendment that reduced the number of patients in the study and allowed patients in the docetaxel arm to cross over to Lumacrest therapy after disease progression. After the amendment, the study was no longer powered to show statistical significance on OS. Codebreak 200 is the Phase 3 confirmatory trial that could support full approval of Lumacrest in markets like the US, where it has accelerated or conditional approval, and Amgen plans to submit the data to regulators in those markets. Medium progression-free survival, the primary endpoint in Codebreak 200, was 5.6 months for Lumacrest and 4.5 months for docetaxel, translating to a 34% improvement at a median follow-up of 17.7 months. The PFS came in below the 6.8-month PFS in the Phase 2 Codebreak 100 pivotal trial that supported accelerated approval, which provided a two-month benefit versus one month in the confirmatory trial. Mizaho Securities Analyst Salim Syed said in a 12th September note 
the 1.1-month median PFS benefit of Lumicrass over docetaxel was not that impressive. Investors wanted at least two months here. However, Syed also noted that the docetaxel arm came in with the MPFS of 4.5 months, which is on the higher end of COMPAS 2.8 to 4.2 months, so that was part of the issue. It raised the bar for what Lumicrass had to do. That said, this was a suspected risk going into this readout. Even so, Codebreak 200 investigator Ferdinandos Skulidis of MD Anderson Cancer Centre said during Amgen's 12th September call to go over data that in terms of the PFS data, a 34% reduction in the risk of progression or death in this previously treated patient population with few available treatment options is definitely clinically meaningful. While Japan has been encouraging domestic pharmaceutical firms to develop vaccines and therapeutics to tackle COVID-19, a number of recent online posts by Japanese physicians over Shionogi's oral antiviral candidate, Zokova, have reminded the local pharma market of a simple fact. Doctors want a drug that can really treat their patients, whether or not it was discovered by a domestic firm. Also, that if anyone asks the government to approve a product without conclusive proof of efficacy and safety just because it's Japan-made, such a move is not going to be welcomed by many physicians in the country, Lisa Takagi writes. An open letter from two Japanese physicians' associations to the Ministry of Health, Labour and Welfare asking for immediate approval of antivirals for COVID-19, which, although it did not name any specific drug, was obviously pointing at Zakova has triggered a backlash from other doctors in the country. Although the ministry began reviewing Zokova under an urgent approval system this April, it's postponed the approval twice due to a lack of data proving sufficient efficacy. It plans to reopen discussions after more complete phase 3 findings are available. The key factor that drove it to put back a final decision following the last review in July was that existing phase 2 data failed to show broad improvement in major symptoms. The controversial letter was published online on 2nd September by the Japanese Association for Infectious Diseases and the Japanese Society of Chemotherapy. It suggested that the MHLW should immediately approve antivirals against COVID-19 given the high need, noting data involving a domestic-made antiviral drug currently in discussion for approval, quite obviously Zakova, had successfully demonstrated an ability to decrease the amount of SARS-CoV-2. But publication of the letter prompted some strong criticism from other doctors in Japan. Not only was it seen as recommending the MHLW put more weight on antiviral effect rather than effective reduction of risk of symptom development, but it was also published in the name of the associations, and one of the letter's two main authors was a director of the JAID and also the principal investigator for Zakova's Japanese clinical trials. Dr. Kentaro Iwata, who is Professor of Infectious Disease Therapeutics at Kobe University in Japan, commented on Twitter that he was devastated by the opinions in the letter from those whom are supposed to be a group of specialists. A professor at Saitama Medical Center and specialist in infectious diseases, Dr. Hideaki Oka, also revealed in another Twitter post that he had sent JAID an email objecting to their letter. The efficacy of a drug is supposed to be evaluated by its efficacy for patients, he wrote. The two associations which published the letter, 
published an additional statement on 8th September, which effectively conceded the original letter was asking for Zakova's approval. The new statement pointed to the importance of the regulatory clearance to enable the early-stage treatments of COVID-19 in Japan, noting the urgent approval system could be applied if efficacy can be assumed. Finally, GSK has eased out its bivalent human papillomavirus vaccine, Cervarix, from the Indian market, amid signs of low demand and the imminent debut of Serum Institute of India's cut-price indigenous rival product. Andrew Gangeti writes that GSK's response is significant, coming at a time when India appears to be moving towards the potential inclusion of the HPV vaccine as part of its universal immunisation programme, and leaves the market open to MSD's Gardasil and Gardasil 9 alongside Serum's quadrivalent HPV vaccine, Servovac. GSK confirmed that it had discontinued Cervarix in India and many regions across the globe as part of portfolio rationalisation over the last year. Dr. Devinder Gill, an international vaccine expert, believes that Cervarix's exit from the Indian market perhaps has more to do with the target product profile which is inferior in his view to that of Gardasil, or CRM's quadrivalent HPV vaccine. Cervarix, being only bivalent, has had trouble competing with Gardasil, which is available both as four-valent as well as nine-valent formulations, Gill observed. Meanwhile, GSK's discontinuation of Cervarix also points to how the company perhaps sees little strategic benefit in pursuing a product with limited value gains in emerging markets, once it's clear that more affordably priced rivals could alter dynamics sharply. It will be interesting to watch whether GSK could potentially consider a similar approach for pneumococcal vaccine Synflorix. This segment again has seen the arrival of Serum's indigenously developed pneumococcal vaccine Pneumacil in December 2020, and industry experts believe a recalibration of strategy for Synflorix can't be ruled out either. At the time of its debut, Serum noted that the unique feature of its WHO pre-qualified vaccine is its composition, which is specially tailored to the prevailing serotype prevalence in India and other regions. Moreover, Numacil was reported at the time to be priced lower than both Pfizer's Prevnar 13 and Synflorix. Some years ago, GSK had lowered prices of Synflorix by around 40% in India, a move that the company's top brass indicated at the time had gone a long way in improving access to the product. Whether GSK's star vaccine will shine on or fade away over the medium term remains to be seen, but an extensive push looks less likely to be a top priority in the highly price-sensitive Indian market, industry experts said. That's all for this time. Many thanks for listening. A reminder that all these stories are linked in the article accompanying this podcast and form just a fraction of those published in script last week. Log in to access all our content or take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.